It's 244 days until Election Day. Are you registered to vote? This week, I interview Dame Magazine publisher Jennifer Reitman, and later the three of us talk about work-life balance. All this and more on The Leftscape! I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. Hi, I'm Robin Renee. And here are three random facts and the news. Random fact number one, I have to admit, is not all that random. (laughs) But uh, so I guess I just lied to you. Um, But I want to say that uh, March is Bisexual Health Awareness Month. And that is something that I've been interested in following and, and frankly, learning more about the health outcomes and things that are important to the bisexual community. I want to read this little paragraph that comes from Bisexual Resource Center. And the theme this month is resilience. Now in the 35th year, the Bisexual Resource Center proudly presents the seventh annual Bi Health Month campaign. Last thing through the month of March, the theme this year is resilience. The bisexual plus community makes up the majority of the LGBTQ community and experiences significantly higher rates of physical, sexual, social, and emotional violence and disparities than gay and straight people, and as well as worse physical, mental, and social health. In the face of these high hurdles, bisexuals plus, which is a strange way to put that, but that's okay, <laughs> by pan omni, all, all fluid, all people who uh, use those terms to describe themselves, have always persisted. Shaping history, organizing alongside vulnerable communities, and defying odds. We weather storms under the bisexual plus umbrella and encompassing, and encompassing, okay, there they explain it, <laughs> an <laughs> encompassing term for anyone attracted to more than one gender, regardless of what labels they use. An umbrella that makes room for everyone's unique identities and experiences is the best tool for increasing our community's wellness. So I think over the month, we will post, especially on our Facebook page and probably Twitter as well, some some things that come up around bisexual health, as well as uh, for Women's History Month, which it also is. I have a question, because when I was reading this this page on the internet, and it said that bisexuals make up the majority of the LGBTQ community, I was a little surprised to see that because, you know, uh, because of, I guess, bi invisibility, how can this be that way? If there's more bi people than, than gay people, for example, why is it not generally acknowledged? Why is that not a common knowledge thing? I think it's a lot of stigma, you know, Um, there are, there's sort of, I think there are more resources and more of a path for people to come out as gay and more f- friction and disbelief and things for people to come out as bi from either side of the wow. monosexual coin, you know? So there are a lot of people who's be- who are behaviorally bisexual or emotionally bisexual or in a relationship with one gender and not really publicly acknowledging their 
interest or attraction to other people so that they it's it's still not seen. But if you think about it during the Kinsey study, what he said was that we have, I don't know, he said roughly 10% of the population is gay. And also said roughly 10% of the population is strictly heterosexual. And everyone, there's kind of like a bell oh. curve in the middle of okay. all kinds of other. So 80% of the population is neither gay nor straight. I guess wow. that's, yeah. So there's there's a lot of fluidity and most of us are fluid in some way. Whether we identify strongly with that or publicly that way is another story, but it still can affect our lives and our health and all of those things. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, it's interesting that's a fact. to think about. That is, that's another fact. <laughs> there are a lot of facts in that one random fact. All right. Yeah. Well, here's, a, here's another random fact. Um, blue whales have the largest penises on Earth. <laughs> An erect blue whale penis is 12 inches in diameter and 10 feet in length. It is oh. fibroelastic like those of the blue whale's arteriodactyl relatives. And that came about as a random fact because the dolphins were so popular? <laughs> I guess. I was looking for thinking about random things. I go, all right, who's got the biggest penis? So <laughs> <laughs> well, I have know. a feeling that our random facts really have a lot to do with our own biases. <laughs> yeah. well, you got to remember it. it ain't what you got. It's the way that you use it. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. What is our third random fact? Here's another random fact. Um, Focus Designs is an American-based designer and distributor of self-balancing unicycles. Think about that. Really random. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what? Isn't that cheating? What? If it's self-balancing unicycle, then you don't have to balance it. Then... it takes away all the joy of having accomplished that you can do a unicycle, which I have tried to do, and it's really very hard. So I would imagine. I, I would actually like to try self-balancing you. Yeah, I, w- I would like to try it too, but I still also think it's kind of a cheat. Um, <laughs> so tell us it, more. <laughs> it's known as the first company to build and release the first commercially available self-balancing unicycle. The company appeared in 2012 episode of Shark Tank, where it was offered funding by the sharks. Okay. So we've got more uh, uh, sea creatures. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. What's all the news we can handle this week? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess the first thing is just uh, to change your clocks. Yes, Spring Sunday, or Saturday night, Sunday, this weekend, March 8th, is lose an hour of sleep as we spring forward into daylight savings. So Are they ever still, it always makes day. me happy. I feel like I, I like the more daylight in the later in the I like day. more daylight later, too. But if we had it pushed back two or three weeks like it used to be. I wouldn't have to wake up in the dark anymore because mm. right now I, the sun is just starting to come up over the horizon. So the sky is all pink and nice looking. And after Sunday, it's going to be another two or three weeks of waking up in the pitch black. And I hate that. Mm. And, and I kind of think I was thinking about this last night and I was thinking 
that Bush Jr. W., who instituted the even longer daylight savings period than we have now, is actually, I guess, lengthening the amount of time where people who are affected by seasonal affective disorder are, you know, having to deal with that. Oh, that's not good. No. I just think it's relative, right? Because it depends on when you get up. It depends on... Okay. How do you feel? I definitely overall feel better when the days are seem longer, and it that seems. I guess the end of the day feels more relevant to me. Okay. Oh, so, I don't know. It affects every. I, no one's happy with this arrangement, <laughs> except for the most. I mean, everyone has something to say about it. It's weird, I know. I know. It's anyway. so funny. Every time I post about a reminder about this. I think half of the comments are, why can't we just pick one time for the whole year and leave it alone? Yeah, I'm just chill. It doesn't really bother me. But anyway, <laughs> uh, what else? So um, I, we actually had two presidential uh, candidates drop out. Buttigieg dropped out as of um, Sunday evening. And so did Tom Steyer, which is, you know, whatever. But um, I did have people, you know, I, I, I like Pete Buttigieg. And I have one friend who was like really, really excited to vote for him on Super Tuesday. And so was, um, you know, feeling wistful about that. And and um, I don't know. I was just wondering if you guys have any thoughts about him or how the how the race is progressing so far. Well, I liked him too. And I was disappointed that he dropped out because it would be such a delight to have a president who actually has a brain, you know, <laughs> and a, a, an intelligent thought in his brain. But at the same time, he's young. He'll come back. I look forward to him in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I liked him a lot too. And I think I feel pretty, I wouldn't say agnostic, but fluid in terms of like, I, you know, I like candidates who are more progressive. And I also think he had a, a lot to offer to, uh, and he was a bit more metered in his policies. Um, the whole thing about the racism in South Bend and his sort of either doing nothing or sort of allowing for certain police behaviors that he just didn't do enough about. I mean, I don't know exactly all what happened there. And it did make me uncomfortable to like, I don't want to ignore it, you know, but I also knew that I didn't know enough. So I had, I liked him a lot with some misgivings, but anyway, we chug along. And by the time this gets to New Jersey, will be much more weeded out. Will there even be a choice by then? Right. It's like everybody's, I'm here, all I'm hearing is everybody's, everybody's going that the primary is really going to be determined on Super Tuesday, which will have happened the day before we post this, but we're recording this the day before the elections. So we have no idea what's happening on Tuesday. It'll be interesting. It would have been interesting to see how Pete did. I, I kind of thought he would hold out for that, but. Anyway, um, well, I'm guessing it was a money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, it's tomorrow. So why couldn't he wait till Wednesday to drop it? That's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering maybe he thought he would lose so badly that it didn't. Or, or, or he wants, or he, if he, I guess. Okay. Okay. Or he wants to give the, del- he knows he's not going to win. So yeah, he knows else. he's not going to win. So he wants the remaining delegates to get an accurate count of who's popular that because if he's going to be diverting votes from somebody else so that biden gets the fucking nomination uh, right right um yeah and and that's that's the one thing about south carolina that i'm 
really dubious about because it's an open primary and there were no and there's no Republican primary. So Republicans could vote for whoever they think is going to screw things up the most. Mm. Mm. So I'm I'm not really impressed with what happened in South Carolina over the weekend. No, I'm not either. Yeah, I don't know. I I will vote for the candidate that eventually comes out of this whole thing, but I'm not happy if it's a old white man. <sighs> and that's looks like what it's going to be. But yeah. don't make up your mind yet. It's too we've had what three primaries so far or four, so mm. it's too soon. It's yeah. too soon. I mean, I know the media wants us to kind of go there, and that concerns me as well. The next thing we can still deal with is there is yet another anti-ACA Affordable Care Act law or case wending its way up the chain, and it will hit the Supreme Court this year, and... Um, According to the New York Times, this particular, this particular case could end up invalidating the whole thing, depending on how the Supreme Court rules. And now the court is stacked differently, although they, they did point out that the people who were voting to keep it, to keep the ACA valid are still there except for Kennedy. So we may still have a majority. It depends on how the conservative judges that sometimes cross over to the liberal judges will, if they'll still keep that same mindset or if they've, you know, succumbed to the pressure from the Republicans. But that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's really makes me nervous. I I feel like, I mean, if we are able to make healthcare like a, a really central issue and to get people to understand that a democratic president will keep us having however we get there we're going to have the ability to have health care in some way it's not like actively being dismantled you know <laughs> that would um, be nice. which would be nice which is yeah. pretty essential uh, uh, especially given our next our fourth topic <laughs> Which is coronavirus, and that really has been everybody else's lead story. And I'm trying to think about it, be conscious of it, be smart about what we can do to prevent spreading, you know, viruses in general, but not necessarily like panic. Well, the panic has happened. I know panic it's has happened, and it's happened. And and uh, my one of our one of our mutual friends was up at the Costco in Teaneck this morning where there was no po- toilet paper. Oh, wow. so, well, that's a virus thing? It's panic buying. Oh, I thought excessive use of toilet paper is a... Well, I mean, yeah, well, if, you're, oh, if you yeah. have flu or flu-like symptoms, you're going to go through a lot of toilet paper. But mm. <laughs> I'm just saying that, and they were also out of water. And mm. when this happens at Costco, uh, that means something's really messed up because they have lots of these things usually Mm. so i'm just saying you know stuff is stuff is coming off the shelves and i know my my other friend who works at a home depot you know the the first when this 
when the panic first started, uh, like how, I don't even know. Was it like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or was it less than that? I've been hearing about it for at least three weeks, probably longer, but well, okay. It started to sort of ramp up in terms of people's concern in the U S ago, three weeks ago, uh, at her home Depot, somewhere in the Midwest, they have been out of masks for forever and people are always coming in looking for these masks to wear. And those are not the masks that are going to help you anyway. And now we're now we're into this. I guess it's this this uh, contagion panic mode that that the media has been whipping up. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the media has is to blame for whipping? Oh, hell up? yes. Hell so yes. then you're agreeing with Trump. No. I am not agreeing with Trump. I think I think his putting a lid on information is really, really bad because that man has no credibility. I mean, when has he ever said anything that's not a lie? So how can you believe anything that's coming out from the White House as the clearinghouse of, of information? So, yeah. So I was just going to say, I think the, the best thing for people to do is... I mean, aside from our, our political leadings, you know, like thinking, oh, fake news or Trump sucks or whatever, just look at what the CDC says to do <laughs> about spreading. Uh, spreading viruses and wash um, your hands. Yeah, keep washing your hands. Um, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Right. Don't uh-uh. touch your eyes or your nose, mouth. You know that kind of thing. I'm I'm really relying on my my muscle memory from working in a lab. Mm. And when I keep that in my mind more frequently, it's like as if I'm working with E. coli, you <laughs> don't just rub your eye or something when you're in the middle of pipetting or something like that, you know. So that's helping me to do that. And I think not sharing food and not, you know, I just take, I'd be a little more cautious about that kind of stuff. And I will probably, I have been being more cautious, like if I'm opening like a, bath restroom door or something in a store or whatever just remember to wash my hands as soon as possible and that kind of thing what else i don't know about the hand sanitizers what do you do you have any information about that because i feel like they help create super bugs ultimately and people they're saying really soap and water Mm. is better than that stuff but in a pinch i feel like you know in the short term it feels like a good solution sometimes you know yeah Yeah. well out at a public event, like a convent, you know, I, I go to science fiction conventions and, or if you've traveled in a plane, you know, that's the one thing I would be really, really nervous now about air travel personally. Mm. But if I go to like a science fiction convention, there's going to be people from a lot of different areas and in, in, in an enclosed hotel. And, you know, I may not be hugging as many people as I would normally you know, until this thing settles down. Cause there's this thing in convention lingo called the con crud, which is basically getting a, a rest upper respiratory infection because you've been hanging around people who are not well. So there's the um, summer festival thing too. I don't know if it has a name, but well, they call it has- con crud in the science, in the convention community, in the science fiction community. And, and it's, it's all, yeah, it's basically you're picking up something from a different area that you hadn't yet been exposed to. Usually it's a very minor thing, but I can see that, you know, some sort of 
major like the flu. If you if you're going to a convention during flu season, it's it's kind of like that. And and this is basically, you know, from the the stuff I've been reading, I want to consider it very similar to the flu. Mm-hmm. And that my tactics that I use to avoid getting the flu in the first place, I will do with this virus as well. And the prepping that I've been reading about is, you know, they want you, you, they've been suggesting to prep the same as you would if you heard, like, either if you were going to get the flu or if there was going to be a blizzard. Because if you do get sick, you're they, if you can afford to, you know, they want you to stay home for two weeks. So have two weeks worth of food. And if you get sick, you might want to have stuff that you, that you can cook very easily, you know, because you may not feel like you're up to cooking. That's reasonable. I, I feel like, yeah, buying a few extra things to have on hand is cool, but I don't think I'm going to panic and buy out the whole store of what's left of the store or something like that. Yeah, save me a, a pack of toilet paper. I have to go to Costco in a couple of weeks. So right. it's. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but we'll put more information. I think we're going to talk more about this uh, eventually on our Patreon as well. Yeah. So. All right. So I guess that's all the news we can handle today. Hey, this is Robin Renee here. I'm happy to announce that I will be the featured artist at Celebrating Women's Voices, an International Women's Day open mic on Sunday, March 8th from 6 to 8 p.m. in Rockville, Maryland. Light refreshments will be served and any funds beyond cost will go to support Amnesty International. Guests will be invited to join Amnesty's campaign to fight for women's rights as human rights around the world. The event will be held at Twinbrook Community Recreational Center at 12920 Twinbrook Parkway in Rockville. Look for the link in our show notes for tickets and to sign up to read or perform. As always, you can find me online at robinrenee.com, where you can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and keep up to date on my shows and other happenings. Hope to see you on Sunday, March 8th in Rockville, or at a show in your city soon. I'm Kevin Patterson of Poly Role Models. And I'm Alana Phelan, the polyamorous librarian. Together, we write the For Hire novels, and you are listening to The Leftscape. The shape of progressive conversation. And coming up next is my interview with Jennifer Reitman, who is the publisher of Dame Magazine. And I spoke to Jennifer on January 22nd of this year, and we did talk a little bit about things that have already occurred, like the impeachment trial. So, um, we can always hear more of that. (laughs) So I am here with Jennifer Reitman, who is the founder and publisher of Dame Magazine, which is an online news and commentary source. So welcome to the Leftscape. Very happy to be here. Thank you. So please tell us a little bit about why you started a magazine and and the process of all of that, because I'm fascinated. I started Dame many years ago, actually, because I myself didn't see 
anything in the media landscape that really reflected my voice or the kinds of issues and topics that I wanted to read about. And what I found was there were fantastic men's magazines that had great long-form journalism that really spoke to an audience. And the same wasn't true in the women's landscape, right? Most of uh, most of the media that was out there at the time that I launched Dame originally uh, was health and beauty and fashion and celebrity and weight loss tips and and all of the things that the industry tells us we're supposed to care about. Yeah. Instead of instead of what we actually care about, and and so I wanted to fill a void for myself first and foremost, something that reflected the kinds of conversations that I was having with my friends and my colleagues in a voice that felt familiar as opposed to condescending or pedantic. And so that really was the genesis of, of Dame originally. And, and you know, it's a kind of a, a long story, but the short version is we had a massive recession, as you'll remember. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and we actually, Dame actually went on hiatus for a while. Wow. And when I brought the site back in uh, about 2014, it was with a, a little more gray in my hair, um, <laughs> a, a couple more wrinkles, and, and a shift I felt in the priorities for women generally. And so we, we pivoted a bit in terms of what we cover. We stopped doing any sort of lifestyle coverage whatsoever and really started to hone in on policy and politics and social issues, social justice issues, repro rights, what have you. And then after the election, of course, um, <laughs> we were, we were, let's say, invigorated. Uh, um, we all were. <laughs> yes. yes. And so, so while we didn't pivot our coverage, I think we refined it quite a bit. And now are, are really focused on deeper dive reporting, trying to be a counterpoint to kind of hyperbolic headlines that uh, are gone as fast as the news cycle has moved on. We try to take a slower approach to our reporting and, and dig into issues you know, with a slightly different point of view. So that's the, you know, that's, that's really how it started and, and, uh, and, and why I started it. That's really awesome. That's really, really awesome. So was it ever in print or was this always an online kind no, of a thing? No, we were always digital. We, okay. Digital native always. Yeah. I was, uh, I was actually, I was reading your site this morning and, and sharing some articles on my Facebook page. Cause you're the stuff, you know, how our, current news cycle it's like if something happened 10 minutes ago we're not paying attention to it because something else happened one minute ago that seems worse i and i appreciated your article on for example uh, the rise in the incarceration of women and how we were separating families before our current sitting presidents decided to make that a immigration policy and and i Stuff I didn't know right. about, you know, and it's important stuff. And it's stuff that that because of the policies of keeping us all so frantic <laughs> that we don't know what's we have no time to even think about anything before the next thing. It's 
I'm, I'm, uh, gl- I'm glad that you caught that because that really is, I think, as I just said, you know, our approach is to, to be a little slower with, with what we talk about and what we report on. And in particular, not to chase the bouncing ball. Um, <laughs> there are, there are plenty of, of news media outlets um, that will serve you up the, the fresh hell of the day. And, um, and that will, you know, stoke your outrage and, and let you know what, you know, what's happened. What, what we really want to do is we have a little saying, we don't break the news. We have a take on it. And what we like to do is take an issue that may be topical right now. Um, and, and find a new way in around it. Find something that is, is relevant to uh, today's news, but, but something that isn't being talked about around it. So the women's incarceration rates is a, is a good example of that, right? So we're, we're, we're all talking about women's agency and women's rights, but something that isn't talked about is this increasing rate of women being put in, in prison and in jail. And, and so that's, that, you know, you're hitting on really our ethos in so many ways to find that story that the other outlets aren't covering because it's not through women's lens. It's not relevant necessarily to put on a one of the New York times at the moment. They're going to, you know, they're going to do what they do, which is, um, you know, insider intrigue, access journalism at, at the White House. And we're going to try to push forward issues that really do affect all of us, um, but, but aren't getting the glaring headlines. So other than the women's incarceration issue, which is, which is huge, and sometimes I'm going, I think I'm going to want to pursue that again later, but this year... <laughs> I'm trying, <laughs> we, we're trying to keep focused on the election coming up in November. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even that's been hard to do because it's, it's, I'm seeing now in, in what's passing on my feeds that, that uh, I think the same actors who were around, you know, four years ago are trying to do the same thing to our, uh, the progressives because I'm starting to see the, the chinks happening in, and, and the infighting and, and what is your, <laughs> Oh yeah. I mean, yesterday, yesterday was a prime example. We have a historic impeachment trial happening right now, the first in a generation. And what were yesterday's headlines all day long? What was ever on your social media? Was feed Hillary was, saying something. It something was, about it, Bernie. It was the it was the the 2016 redux of of the animosity between two campaigns and what whichever side you may find yourself on, whether you were a Hillary voter or or a Sanders voter, the reality is the in my opinion the media is focused on that instead of highlighting the to your point the bad actors, the bad faith that was going on all day yesterday. Um, they did a, the, the media, corporate media did a very, very good job of distracting us from actually the real news of the day. And to your point, I also share your concern that, that the pattern of 2016 is literally playing out 
as, 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 you know, every minute goes on, it's not just sort of campaign disputes and, and, you know, you saw the same thing with, with Warren and you saw the same thing with Biden this week, this week was all about which campaign was fighting with which campaign. The reality is that while all of this is going on, you have, you know, entitlements being proposed to be rolled back should he be elect reelected you have family separations continuing at the border you have the entire republican senate acting uh like authoritarians basically enabling a monarchical government none of the things that were in the news cycle that got everybody's attention yesterday or this past week actually matter in terms of what is going to help us in 2020 Right. And, and yeah. I don't care what campaign you support. It, it doesn't it's irrelevant. It because, you know, and I'm not I'm not advocating for the, the you know, I'm not one of these vote blue, no matter who people I I tend to be a, a bit quiet on that for, for obvious reasons. But but folks are distracted and distracted for the wrong reasons. And, and as somebody who works in the news industry, that's frustrating for me. It's it's very frustrating. I mean, one of the things I actually mentioned this morning to, on Facebook in particular was not a word about Iran in the past week. Not, oh, yeah. I know, forgot about right, that. Right. Out of, out, I mean, that was a week ago. Not, oh, my God. Not, when was the last time you saw an important headline about the fires in Australia, in, in our media? Those things didn't go away suddenly. But but the profits over an informed electorate that you see in and I don't use the phrase mainstream media because that's a that's a divisive term that's used by the by the right wing media, but corporate media, big shareholder driven media. As the fourth estate, I grow increasingly concerned that their role in informing us, me included, right, voters, <laughs> the electorate is is in some ways abdicated and and i say this with with one important caveat i'm deeply deeply proud of and and you know admiring of the incredible investigative reporting that has come out of the washington post and the new york times and the miami herald i do not for a minute i don't want anything i say to be misconstrued as not respecting what those investi- investigative journalists have been able to accomplish but there is a we have an issue with op-ed headlines uh without question and and there's a there's something strange with the prioritization of what needs to be kept current as a headline or as a, you know, a Chiron on the cable news. So anyway. I'm interested in, in your process. Do you, are you involved in, in the day to day or is that more of your editor? Those are my editors. Yeah. Those are my editors. I try very hard to keep a church and state uh, okay. model for us. Um, not always because I'm a reader myself. <laughs> and so I'm a, I'm a naturally very curious person. So, so the extent to which I have, you know, involvement in our editorial is I try to limit it to just ideas. So I will propose to the edit team, you know, a, a, an idea for a feature or someone we can interview 
we're such a small company. I mean, we're, it's only me and two editors. That's it. We're, yeah, right. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not terribly embarrassed of that, frankly. I think we're able to, I think we're able to accomplish quite a bit with just three people. Um, okay. We're a small independent outlet and that, you know, in a landscape of, you know, venture packed media, um, we're able to compete with, with, you know, a tiny team. And so, you know, if I were silent, it would be weird uh, <laughs> with them. Um, but, but I don't, I don't influence our pieces. I am not the final say on anything. My, my editors have all decision-making when it comes to what we publish. And, and the most I do is just, you know, I'll toss out ideas here and there. Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. <laughs> okay, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I do have actually it's more of a businessy kind of question yeah. because no, it's because New Jersey has just passed AB five. Yeah. yeah, the the contractor law that has been I've been hearing horror stories from freelance writers in California and mm-hmm. I wanted to know because <laughs> yeah. my because I'm a freelance artist ah. and a graphic designer, and I keep looking at it saying, is this going to affect me? And I don't mm-hmm. know that it would, but I want to know how what your take on that, sure. on that law is. Yeah, we actually covered that. We did a feature <laughs> about it. So, so uh, let me start by saying how it would affect how it affects my company. For us, because of the nature of what we what we publish, the the law in California is that writers are now limited to thirty five submissions per year uh, to an outlet. So for us, because we don't we don't cover entertainment is a good example, right? We are not doing wrap ups. We're not doing you know Netflix coverage, things like that. It doesn't really impact us. Most of our writers don't submit more than 35 pieces a year to us. So, so I feel safe and confident that, that our, our contributors and our writers will not be impacted from us. That said, I can tell you that I think it's a terrible law. I think it, it impacts women far more than it impacts men because so many women are have chosen or are uh, not forced to, but but have to freelance to accommodate either caring for family or because they lost, you know, maternity leave, or maybe they, you know, of my generation, you have a lot of sandwich people, right? You have kids and elderly parents. Women are, you know, more likely to have autoimmune diseases that maybe make it challenging for them to go into an office every day. So, so just on the women's end, I think it disproportionately affects women more than men, but it, but generally it it was enacted with so little understanding of what it means to be a freelance journalist and how many writers and journalists much prefer to be a freelancer. Yeah. You know, not the least of which they own their intellectual property. <laughs> um, and so here you have, you know, an example is, is you become a writer, you go get a staff job, you write an c- incredible story, and suddenly Netflix and Hulu and Amazon comes calling, and guess who owns that work? Not Yikes. you. And so there are a host of reasons why. I think, I think the, the, 
people who, who put together this law, and I, I'll be polite and not mention names, uh, but anybody can look up who did it. Um, <laughs> I don't think they frankly understood anything about it. And, and what's worse now is that they've doubled down on it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 folks can go to Dame and see what we wrote about it. My company is not going to be, or the writers for our company are not going to be affected, thankfully, but, but boy, oh boy, plenty of other colleagues yeah. and friends are. This is, I guess, one of those unexpected result kind uh-huh. of things. Yeah, be but careful everybody was screaming, because I see for for I think this was all done because of Uber and Lyft. That's exactly why. Right. And those guys should be employed. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> this is not the, the, the basically it's like baby and bathwater here. Yeah. Um it it just is not equitable and yeah, I I don't hopefully I think there's, you know, there's been so huh. much pushback I cannot imagine. What's really interesting about this is that <laughs> it's one of the few things that I've seen both Democrats and Republican lawmakers agree on. Those <laughs> who are who who don't agree with AB five, I've seen a bunch of GOPers come out and say that this is not good. And for you know for reasons you can understand from their perspective, right? Smaller government and overreach and what have you. But it's it's interesting that this has been a uniting thing. <laughs> well, I hope. I hope both your state and my state yeah, can yeah, figure yeah, yeah. out how to I fix this. Well, and they yeah. want to roll it out nationally too. You're going to see, you know, you're going to see. Well, that's happen. how that works. They yeah. do a couple of states, you know, we like we've all been waiting for marijuana to get legalized right. nationally. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Do you think this is my other question that's yeah. always in my head? Do you think that we can actually get a woman in the White House <laughs> this time? Do I think we can get a woman in the White House this election in particular? Yeah. So I think that we can absolutely elect a woman to the White House. I think we have created this strange self-fulfilling prophecy amongst (laughs) voters. By even questioning, can we elect a woman? It makes the woman more unelectable. I I think Uh. this, this... we we have such we're so shell shocked and we have such PTSD that I see it's just a gambit. Everything is a gambit, right? It's it's trying to game out who can get elected and who's going to beat him. And and the reality is, it's not an issue of whether or not a woman can. For me, this is this is my take on it. Can a it's not if can a woman get elected or or you know does it have to be a white man or it is can we turn out disenfranchised voters yeah. and, and can we overcome just unbelievable gerrymandering because I think any one of the people who are currently running you know any of them can be elected if we can get people out to vote um, because we've it, it is everything is we've so much to overcome in terms of Russian interference, gerrymandering, the divisiveness amongst the different campaign supporters. I try not to focus on whether or not a woman can be elected. Obviously, I you know I I want a woman to be elected. Um, I had hoped that 2016 um, yeah. would have seen that happen. I try not to focus on the what if and focus on the thing 
that I think makes the difference, which is get out the vote. Okay. And that, I, and that it's going to fall where it falls. I, I think, I think for me personally, this isn't Dame. This isn't me representing the company. I think for me, I've reset the way that I look at the election. And I, I guess I've just reprioritized for myself getting him out of office over. And that's a sad thing, right? That I kind of just look at all of them and go, I just want him out. Okay. Uh, I want but, all of them out. At yeah, this point. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Senate, <laughs> I mean, the, the Senate has become, for me, a big focus, a huge focus. We, we partnered with an organization at Dame, we partnered with an organization called Women Count. And they are working overtime to get women elected to office. That's great. And so we have a slate with Women Count that are all the women senators running. So we're just about to launch a column where we'll interview each of those women. Ooh, yeah, I am. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm excited about that. I will yeah. be reading that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be. It should be <laughs> great. We we need those women. We need to flip the Senate because really, and you know this. Sure, let's take back the White House. But if we don't win the Senate, no, no. I I I've been looking at historical stuff and especially and specifically how. FDR got the New Deal passed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he did that. He had to stack sc- the Supreme Court. Right. He right. had to have the House and the Senate and the Supreme Court, which I, for us to to repeat that now, and I think that's kind of what we're going to need to get universal health care. Yeah. Right. And and many of the things we on climate, such a monumental climate. job. Yeah. yeah. It <laughs> is. It is. It is. It is so incumbent that we we take back the Senate. It's hard to actually articulate it. And I <laughs> and I sometimes get I get worried that we talk about the presidential race at the risk of talking about down ballot races. I, you know, not in my circle necessarily, but I think again back to the news, right? When was yeah. the last time you saw anything other than a headline about a senator who's at risk of losing their seat? There's no we're not talking about what they stand for. We're not talking about their policies. We're not talking about, you know, their background. We're only talking about, you know, if they're at risk or not, right? Uh, that's That doesn't help people make voting decisions. We tr- And that's the gap that, you know, we try yeah. to fill. Well, at least I think gerrymandering doesn't really come into play on, on in-state elections like for Senate. Because well, it's just it's, it's not wow. it's just yeah. Congress yeah. is a yeah. congressional yeah. district, yeah. Senate. Yeah. So there's our little ray of hope. That's right. Right. Making sure everybody is registered to vote and right. then get them to the polls. Yeah. And and that whoever becomes our eventual nominee is working just as hard to support down ballot races. Yes. Right. That is essential. They need to, I don't care who it is, they need to focus on that as well. I think, you know, hopefully all of them yeah. would. I, I think they're smart enough to know that even if they win the White House, if they don't have Congress, yeah. they're going to be stuck again. Yeah. yeah. We're, we'll, we're going to have another five foot pile bill, uh, stack of bills mm-hmm. that aren't getting voted on. Exactly. Sitting, waiting. Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for spending some time with us today. 
This was awesome. I and I'm really glad to have discovered a new a new news source for me to read on a daily basis. Wonderful. I'm excited, and uh, I love I love when we get new readers. So I'm I'm so pleased I could be with you today. I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, and folks can go visit Dame at DameMagazine.com. Oh yes, and we will be posting links on Perfect. our on the on the page too. So uh, thank you again. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thanks. March is my first monthly giveaway on the Wendy Cards Facebook page. And I am really excited about this. The giveaway is a set of three stickers of your choice from all of the different designs that I currently have available, and I'll be giving out two second prize winners of one sticker each of their choice. So if you want to enter this giveaway, all you have to do is like and comment on my giveaway post, and that's going to be the pinned post at the top of the Wendy Cards page, and you're entered in the giveaway. Yes, it is that simple. So go to facebook.com slash wendycards, that's W-E-N-D-Y-C-A-R-D-S, and comment on that post, and I hope you win. So I have been thinking about, you know, we talk a lot on our Ikigai segment about work-life balance. And for me in specific, sometimes I feel like I have this thing I need to do between my work that I'm doing that, you know, pays most of my bills right now and my other work, which is my creative work, that is really important for me to find, to be doing enough of, to feel well and to feel like that's continuing to be a part of my practical life as well as my you know, it's not a hobby. It's beyond a hobby for me. You know, so it needs to be all all in balance some way. You know, so I am a songwriter and a writer, and I also, for a lot of my time, do SEO, which 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 is search engine optimization, and that is something that I really am surprised to discover. I like a lot. You know, there aren't that many. I did work in a laboratory years ago, which I really love, and I miss that in a lot of ways. And I really, I really like SEO. And it's one of those things where I enjoy it enough that I could fill, I could continue to fill most of my days with that work. But I also know that I need to be increasing my visibility and my being out in the world as an artist. I'm working on how to get those in sync and, and make sure I'm paying my bills and make sure I'm doing well at all the things I'm, I'm trying to do. So I have a question for you. Are, is one of your long-term goals to be self-supporting as an artist? Or is that always going to be one one of a few different things that you're doing to bring revenue into your life to pay the bills? That's always been a goal. Okay. You know, and it's not. And I've been much more successful at it in the past than I am now. I sort of got... Uh, I think a lot of people really got slammed by in 08, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that was a big thing. I was doing national 
touring by myself. It was like a very small operation, just as an acoustic artist, you know, doing singer-songwriter gigs and kirtan and also some freelance writing. So the, between those things, I w- it was doing okay. And it really, I did have the bottom fall out of, of a couple of things in that year that made it really hard to, to stay on the road in the way that I'd been doing it. Well, I think, you know. Yeah, I think I think the, the financial disaster of uh, the late aughts, <laughs> God, I that, yeah. <laughs> of like the, two, <laughs> the 2008 financial bullshit really fucked up pretty much every indie, indie artist who was, and you know, I, I think Mary, isn't that kind of the, the downfall of your nonprofit? Was yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. And, and Republicans, but the, <laughs> the, w- while you're talking, uh, Robin, I'm just thinking so much of my husband, my late husband now, because the thing is, he fell into such a depression because of himself as an artist, feeling that he was a bad artist because he couldn't make a living doing art. And and this was an ongoing argument with with between us because I was always trying to say, you can't judge yourself as an artist according to whether you make money or not because the world isn't fair. We've got the, you have nothing to do with the, the fact that the bottom fell out of the market. That I mean, your art has not changed because of that. Your art is still good. Uh-huh. It's just that uh, other things are happening. So that's that was my first argument was just don't judge yourself as an artist according to whether you make money at it or not. Uh-huh. That's all. Um, yeah, I think that is good to remember, you know, but, but, and I also know that it's important for me to be doing the work in the right yeah. balance yeah. so yeah. that I feel like I'm progressing in the way that feels healthy for me, you know, yeah. financially and emotionally and all, all of that. Yeah. For me, yeah. up until I got laid off in 2014, art was always, uh, my art and music was always a side hustle. You know, I had I had a regular day job to pay to pay the bills and support the family and and then I got laid off and at 58 and it was like you know this is an opportunity for me to try to do this stuff on my own and then I ended up doing a lot of commercial graphic design which I was finding not fulfilling in a in an art it, it eventually became very unfulfilling in an in an artistic sense it wasn't it wasn't doing anything for me. I was getting kind of depressed because the, the gigs I was getting was like doing postcard mailers for a heating company. And and, <laughs> and I wasn't allowed to be an art director. It's like they're saying, okay, this is, uh, this is what we want it to look like. And I was just sort of just producing just stuff. And it was kind of like, eh. It's kind of like being in a cover band, maybe. Mm. It was. It was like when you really, really want to be. I would rather be in a cover band, honest, than doing this stuff I was doing. I think think being in a cover band could be a lot of fun. In fact, I have a couple in my brain that I would like to do maybe one day. (laughs) But I mean, but my point was like, if your deepest desire is to be doing all of your original stuff all the time, and you wind up playing in Atlantic City at a doing like a or a wedding band or something and not that there's anything wrong with those particular things but if it's if your if your heart is like i'm almost doing the thing i want to do but <laughs> not really you know what yeah. i mean that's kind of worse yeah. in a way that, yeah. well it, it would i think you know i could do that like for a few years and then it would start to get 
to me. I mean, it, I think that's what it is because like the, you know, when I was doing all that stuff right at the beginning, it's like, okay, I'm learning. So like playing, it's like, if like, I like, really like your cover band analogy. It's like, yeah, you get your music chops playing other people's stuff. And then at some point you don't want to play, you know, rock and roll by Led Zeppelin for the 800th time. You know, you just don't want to play that one anymore. I mean, I can, I mean, even, even Led Zeppelin would get tired of playing these songs. I mean, you really, I mean, that's the one thing you really have to, as a musician, and I was saying this a long time ago, you really have to be in love with your songs because if you have a hit, that is what you're going to be playing for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if it's somebody else's stuff and you're kind of like, ah, I kind of like this song, you're going to really end up not liking it after a few years of constantly. This this brings up a whole other question of how much does an artist have to pander to their audience or cater to their audience or instead of self-expression? I think that's an individual thing based on your needs at the moment. Yeah. You know. I just always think think about uh about uh Vincent Van Gogh and and how he drew, drew what he liked but no nobody liked it and he died with Pauper alone and then it became very popular. So <laughs> oh <laughs> it's sad. Oh well, that's it that's kinda you know, that that's a very I think that's more of an indictment of capitalism than anything else. <laughs> well, you got that to contend with too. Yeah. Cause nobody wants to pay for the, for art while the artist is living. So, well, all right. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> obviously people do get paid for art and you know, um, that's a, that is a possibility. I, I feel like if I, if I approach the world completely pessimistically about all of it, then I won't, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be having the conversation, you know? (laughs) So I Mm. need to feel, and I do know, you know, what is possible and that I can make what I, what is possible better than I've done before. You know, if I, that's my, yeah, I need to start from there. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, okay, let us let us now put aside the cranky pants uh bitter facts of various people's <laughs> struggles with this stuff and talk about because you up until like the economy decided to be fucked up, you were doing good. Uh you know, you were touring, touring nationally and you were doing all this stuff and and you had found your audience right? That's pretty much your audience, or I should say your audience was able to find you. Yeah. And I'm, that's, I'm kind of bringing SEO back into this conversation. Sure. <laughs> okay. Because well, that was before I, I knew anything about SEO, <laughs> but I certainly knew I was reaching the right people. I mean, I definitely knew a lot of people in the LGBT media and stay in touch with those folks. And make sure I'm getting the word out about what I'm doing. And I also had an audience in Kirtan and the sort of yoga chant world, which is its own unique kind of ecosystem. Mm. So staying staying visible in that world also helped me, you okay. know, um, and doing a lot of outreach and stuff. But what you're asking about is search engine optimization, which is a mm, science slash art of getting your website 
seen in in search engines. Yes, and, and that was. I, I, I'm just going to interject really quick. Um, Music for the Goddess, which was my band, uh, and we have two albums out. I think we really started doing stuff in 2000 or 98, somewhere around there. And this is when the internet was a lot younger and easier to navigate. And I had accidentally, because of my shitty HTML programming skills, I had accidentally managed to get my search rank up ridiculously high just from the fact that I used the full URL for every image on my website. And that, because at that point it was like any link to your page gave you more exposure with the handful of search engines that were out there at the time. And if you had, if you, and this was why I, I only found this out because people were contacting me to interview me about my band, because if you had searched on pagan music it, right when we were starting, my band would come up uh, five times in the first 10 things. That doesn't mm. happen anymore because that's excellent. <laughs> yeah, right. it was there's so much more pagan music right but, now. Yeah, yeah that's well, true. yeah, there's there's more pagan music now, and also SEO. The science of SEO is like a moving target. So, yes. and and I did not keep up with it. So, I'm turning it back to you because you are keeping up with it, and and that I I am very in awe of that because it just <laughs> changes so fast. I can't deal. So it does. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Google changes their algorithms all the time. And I'm not necessarily one of the, the to use a corporate term, smartest people in the room. I'm using large quotes, <laughs> air quotes, um, who figures out what Google is doing or wants or whatever. But I do, I keep in touch with, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts about it. And I, and I do notice trends and try to pay attention and, and figure out what's happening, but I'm not necessarily the, the, the best at that, but I do stay aware of what people are saying are the current most recent things to do. But essentially you want to take a look at your website and understand what are the important concepts that you want to be seen for. And normally we, I start with looking at the site itself and seeing what's on the page and what, by that sort of discerning what you want, like if if is if a site is about, you know, and I'm joking, like we were talking Wendy about doing a lot of, you know, art layouts for things you don't necessarily care about. Like you know, I've worked on all kinds of websites. So if someone wants to be known for emergency dental care, you know, <laughs> like that would be a, a, a web page that okay, like that I can understand what that keyword is, and then you figure out how to place a keyword like that to rank help them rank higher what okay. would be a keyword for emergency dental care that probably would be the keyword emergency <laughs> dental but you would look at the yeah you know but you think about and there are lots of um tools that you can use to see there's a site called sem rush which you you can input like various keywords and see how many people per month search for a certain term you know oh and so that's you, good yeah so you take a page that or even like you know kirtan chant like maybe and this is this is one of my problems like <laughs> i'm very good at looking at other people's sites and deciding what what is obviously they want to be known for based on what's on their page but in terms of developing my own work there are a lot of ways there are directions i could go in terms of what i want to most be seen as 
So my website has shitty SEO currently because no, I haven't, you have, haven't really done it. You haven't so you, focused yourself. You haven't drilled yeah. down to the laser-like focus that I guess that's a way of limiting what you're doing on that page. Yes. And that's what you should do. Each, each of your pages should be very much on topic in terms of what you want and, and comprehensive, you know? So if you, like, for example, one of the things I do want to create is a, a page that really talks about Kirtan, you know, because I have a music page. that just has links to all like where you can buy my music, but you know, there's singer songwriter stuff and there's Kirtan stuff and there's like some holiday music or whatever. And that's <laughs> fine. But I should actually, one of my intentions um, this year is to really set aside, set aside time to work specifically on my projects and increasing their visibility and their, you know, booking gigs, whatever I'm going to do, you know, but yeah, I think creating a page where I am talking about Kirtan and its history and my history with it and that sort of thing. So that it really is a page about that particular aspect of my work, you know, and finding the other segments of what I do and sort of creating something about each of those things. Hey, folks, we're doing a new thing, a Patreon page. We have the chance to grow, but we need your help. Become a patron and we will create a better experience for you with new segments, more interviews, and exclusive content. We love this project and are excited to have you on board as part of the Leftscape team. Check us out at patreon.com slash leftscape. 